0: well happy monday thank you so much for tuning in here to spotlight hawaii i'm ryan Kalesuji, suji joined by yanji denise and uh great to see so many of you already tuning in this week uh this week we have another week full of great shows and guests that we're going to be getting to today we're starting off this week with a conversation uh that we've been having more and more often regarding what's happening with uh climate change specifically here in the state and how the city And uh, other departments and agencies are helping to address the needs of this growing concern in our community.
1: That's right. We want to talk about climate change and sustainability, talking about what the city is doing and also what we can do as individuals. So joining us this morning, we have Matthew Gonzer. He is the chief resilience officer and executive director of the city's office of climate change. Oh, sorry. Climate change, sustainability and resiliency, along with Caroline Carl, who is the deputy director of Hawaii Energy. Thank you both for being here this morning. We want to encourage uh, those of you who are tuning in to put your questions in the comments for these two. Uh, Matt, I want to start with you. For those who aren't familiar with this office, tell us a little bit about uh, what you're doing and what the uh, what the goals are for for the city.
2: Sure, aloha and good morning. Thank you, Eugene Ryan. Apologies on the name of the office; it's quite a mouthful. First thing on a Monday, um, but actually, we're very fortunate because the only reason this office exists is because of the great wisdom and awareness of the voters of this island. In 2016, there was a an amendment put on the ballot to uh, ask the question of should we create an Office of Climate Change Sustainability and Resiliency? And overwhelmingly, the voters elected to do so, which really is a great acknowledgement of the kinds of changes that community has seen and experienced over time, their their deep awareness of the potential vulnerabilities of just our geographic isolation, as well as the challenges and burdens of a Heavily dependent fossil fuel state and the costs that that brings to us today and the costs that it's bringing us into the future as a result of climate change.
0: And Caroline, I wonder if you can share a little bit about what you do specifically. We know when we think of Hawaii energy, of course, we know of the contributions that you folks make as a whole. But but what about your role and some of the things that you're working on uh, that people might not be aware of?
3: Sure. So again, thank you both for having us today. I think this is such an important conversation. But um, at Hawaii Energy, you know, we are, our core focus is to help families and businesses make smart energy choices. And we do so in a, in a number of ways, rebates and incentives. You'll see our signage at uh, at Home Depot and then big box stores when you're getting an Energy Star appliance. Um, we do education and outreach. But the last year I've been, we've been in incredibly focused on increasing accessibility and affordability of our programs to, and um, going deeper in our communities, especially in light of COVID. Um, so we have a number of programs that are really focused on giving you tactical tips um, to reduce your energy usage, to make it much um, easier to manage your utility bills, and and to really um, do your part in, in the fight against climate change. So I've been very busy um, with lots of initiatives.
1: <laughs> Matt, I wonder if you would tell us when we were preparing for this program um, in, in understanding what it is that your office does, you know, when people think about climate change, they tend to think of sea level rise. But of course, it is a much broader than that. Tell us about the sort of you, you, when we had uh, done some preparation, you talked about the dual goals of your office. If you could lay that out for us, I think that would be really helpful.
2: Yeah, thanks for that, Yunji. So in the Oahu Resilience Strategy, it really talks about climate security and responding to climate change is twofold. First and foremost, eliminating carbon pollution um, through decarbonization and some of the programs that Caroline is talking about, but also preparing communities for the changing environment due to climate change, which is the direct result of using fossil fuels. So we need to do both tracks concurrently and, and rapidly and very aggressively acknowledging that change is coming to our shorelines, whether we're prepared for it or not. So how do we proactively and beneficially address both our contributions to global climate change, but also the effects that are coming around sea level rise, increasing temperatures, changes in rainfall patterns, either too much or too little. And how does that affect the community, both in the, the costs today, but costs into the future? And a lot of the climate action stuff, eliminating carbon pollution, really is just good business for the municipality and for the state and for businesses and homeowners. So it it just makes um, good sense.
0: And and as a follow-up to that, Matt, I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about what you've seen. I mean, just in this past uh, few months, of course, we've seen those rainfall totals. We've seen those devastations that's happening on, on the North Shore of Kauai, but even here on Oahu with heavy rainfall. Uh, as we talk about climate change and its impact on the infrastructure of the city and county, uh, how are those types of uh, incidences where we're having these record rainfalls, uh, how is that helping to shape policy moving forward, knowing that this could be something that we are dealing with uh, more frequently?
2: Again, I think even stemming from the creation of the office, there's a growing community awareness of the the challenges that are that are out there. And I'm Candidly, the environments that we designed and planned for in the communities all around this island and around the state is not the environment that we're stepping into as a result of climate change. So we do need to earnestly look at our infrastructure, both city and state infrastructure, as well as how we support development and communities to make sure that they can withstand some of these impacts. Building codes is a great example of ensuring that new construction or redevelopment ensures that people are out of flood plains or elevated above a design flood level or making sure that they are new homes are are prepared and equipped to benefit from this clean energy transformation so that they can over time reduce their energy burdens and, and think about not just upfront costs, but these real significant savings over time, which can really be stresses to households, communities, and neighborhoods. So how do we, again, think about both? We do need to prepare communities for these changing um, environments, but we also need to keep our foot on the pedal for climate action.
1: You know, Caroline, uh, Matt mentioned that it's good business. And I think that I would love for you to talk about as, as businesses now are adapting to COVID restrictions. Uh, what are some of the challenges that you see when it comes to making good energy choices? And also, you know, now we have this new public health concern.
3: Yeah, no, it's been a, it's been a challenging year, no doubt. Um, I think it was, it was incredibly heartening to see how, how, how much small businesses reach, out. Um, we had a, a, an energy relief grant this year that got tremendous activity, far greater than we could ever have imagined. Because as revenues were dropping, um, business models were changing. We have seen um, an uptick in the purchase of energy efficient equipment to help reduce operating costs. I mean, buildings are a huge aspect of our, they're a very large aspect of our overall greenhouse gas emissions. And even the the decisions that are made make on a day to day basis what sort of refrigeration you use, how you're running your air conditioning. This came to the forefront of, you know, managing the safe reopening. And so we've been, you know, seeing a tremendous amount of interest and ongoing um, activity of, you know, educating themselves on on how to best manage indoor air quality and providing, you know, a number of of resources
0: to do so. and I'm wondering, Caroline, if you can expand more as we talk about COVID-19, more people working from home, which means uh, probably higher energy costs that people are having to pay now that they are finding themselves uh, working, teaching their kids at home more time, maybe with an air conditioner on, just more units. What, are we, what is it looking like in terms of the amount of energy that's being expended by customers during this time of COVID and how can they maybe find ways to help to bring those costs down?
3: Yeah, it's been a really, it's an interesting shift because we were so concentrated in commercial buildings and now with folks working, schooling, you know, um, sheltering in place at home, um, and doing so with your entire family, we've seen, we've definitely seen an increase in, in our residential energy bills. However, that also comes with an increased opportunity to, be more efficient. Um, so, if you visit our website, um, we have a number of tips and tricks that are available. Just you know, going room by room, little things like shortening your shower, or um, you know, adjusting the temperature on your water heater, um, or managing how many devices are plugged in using a smart power strip. So, there are things that are low, lower costs that you can do um, to help manage it, um, and just being more aware. I think um, you know educating your children um, those in the homes that they're, that, you know, our behaviors do have the impact on how, how much energy we use and, and we can take action.
1: You know, Matt, at the top of the show, Ryan did mention that energy goal that the state has to be carbon neutral. I believe it's by 2045. You'll have to forget, correct me uh, on this, but how, how are we doing in terms of the city itself in terms of getting to, getting to that goal? And, you know, Caroline talked about some of the individual steps we can take going room by room. What's the city doing, um, you know, building by building, if you will, or what kind of steps are they taking on a, on a broader scale to meet those needs?
2: Right. So that, that state law is by no later than 2045. So certainly we can meet that goal and target an objective sooner. And we, we should. We should advance and accelerate the efforts as much as we can. At the end of last year, the city passed Ordinance 20-47, which um, linked our commitments and our goals in lockstep with the state. So we actually have the same um, net negative carbon emissions goal for the island of Oahu. And to Carolyn's point about sort of learning and assessing, one of the most important things that we can do is to track the information and the data. That same law and ordinance required us to annually produce a greenhouse gas inventory and chart and chart our progress or lack thereof within a climate action plan. So she mentioned energy used in homes, buildings, and and other businesses. That that accounts for 45%. Of the greenhouse gas emissions of this island and transportation accounts for almost the other half whereas things like waste and other uses make up smaller slices of the pie. So we need to make sure that we are looking at our own city facilities. Last year we accelerated an energy savings performance contract to assess opportunities to produce energy on site but also enhance our efficiency across all of our city buildings as well as Department of Parks and Recreation facilities. So We'll be negotiating a finalized contract on that to ensure that we bring cost savings to our own operations. But then, um, you know, the benefit accrues to the taxpayers as well. And then other things around ground transportation, whether it's our electric buses, doing work to make complete and safe streets so kids can walk to school and people can move around their community by their own power. All of these are measures towards climate action, but they're also um, steps that help us become more socially connected or healthier, both indoor living spaces and working spaces that then get us the benefits on cost savings and pollution.
0: You know, Matt, I want to also just touch upon something that you mentioned earlier. A lot of times when we hear climate change, the first thing people immediately think about is the sea level rise and what's happening there. If you can speak to anything that uh, the city may be working on or is trying to do to help to prepare for that, we know that uh, we are already seeing just the uh, beaches that are disappearing along Oahu shorelines. Uh, we see the increasing of these king tides where the tides come all the way in. Uh, How are things changing? And what is the city doing to help to prepare for some of these instances?
2: Right, thanks Ryan. Again, the only reason we even need to think about sea level rise is because of um, global heating and our contributions to greenhouse gas emissions. So first and foremost, I always wanna drill that point home that climate action uh, needs to happen and that's our first step, but yes, you're right. We need to prepare communities because we've already measured upwards of six inches of sea level rise from the early 1900s just out at Honolulu Harbor. So as you mentioned, we've had to remove lifeguard stations or comfort stations on the west side. Um, We have concerns around drainage. All of these things are going to be long-term infrastructure improvements. Um, There are various steps within the resilience strategy focusing on either specific infrastructure, whether it's our drainage system looking at rules and regulations to make sure people are out of harm's way and that they remain safe, but then uh, that we can also preserve beaches into the future. Sandy shorelines are unique. If we give them room, they can actually move with the ocean level. But if we're locking up that sand resource, they don't have the ability to sort of replenish and we could potentially lose places like um, the seven miles of the North shore. And these are things that are we are obligated to protect, protect and preserve into the future through our state constitution or some of our own special management area rules and regulations. It's not a lot, it's not a quick fix, um, but I think the the growth and the sentiment through the community planning process is really bringing attention to the fore, and they're driving some of the discussions about what state and city agencies should do, and that's critical.
1: We have a question here from Mark Liddell. Um, I can only read the first half because it's quite a lengthy one, but I will read the first half. Uh, after the recent North Shore windward flooding, uh, there've been complaints about the government's emergency plan and response during natural disasters. Is there a written guide on how the state and city is supposed to respond to these events and does it need to be improved? Matt, that one is yeah. for you.
2: Thank you. I would have to defer to our Department of Emergency Management, they are the leads on um, both uh, warnings and awareness. People should sign up for hnl.info, which is the main resource to get notifications across the board, not just emergency things, but it's it's a direct city portal for events and, and information across a variety of topics. Um, something to, to remember is that, that a lot of that area of Eva is a mapped flood hazard zone. So we need to learn from these events, evaluate the buildings that performed, and those that didn't to see what we can do to protect people into the future. You know, sea level rise is a changing baseline, a heavy rainfall event is kind of a punch to the gut. We talk about these in terms of stresses and shocks and the approaches to address them are gonna be different.
0: Caroline, I want to go back to you. And, and if we, when we're talking about things that people can do on a regular basis, I know you had mentioned a few of those tips that people could do within their homes. Uh, but as we look to trying to create this more sustainable community and lifestyle, what are some of the message points that you folks are driving home to get people to change the way in which they just live their life? Because a lot of this is becomes a lifestyle change in the way that they handled and process things. What are some of the messages that you folks are trying to really enforce to help people to change the way that they're living to help live a more energy efficient lifestyle that helps everyone.
3: I think to going to Matt's point about you know what um, how communities are an active part of this. That is one of the main core aspect of our our focus on increasing accessibility and affordability of information and resources, and giving and having it be part of a much bigger dialogue of what our future our sustainable future looks like. And so that is like uh, the core message for for us is that we all can make a difference and these little Things that may seemingly, you know, changing behavior here or um, modifying how you're operating something in your home, it does all link back to these bigger management of our our greenhouse our gas greenhouse gas emissions. And so I think that's really the foundational um, message that we really want to build capacity for folks to understand how it all links together and provide the resources to do so. And it doesn't have to be um hard it you know some of this is really fun and and educational too and so that you know really focusing on the empowerment
1: i want to bring this question in from anton um and this is sort of asking uh, he's asking specifically about solar panels, but it is, Caroline, this one is for you really. What is the disposal plan when the lifespan of the panels needs to be re- replaced? I understand that panels cannot be recycled. Uh, it's it sort of, I want to make that question a little broader to say, how do we make sure that the energy efficiency solutions that we're seeking are green themselves? You know, um, when you look at, you know, a battery, a, a, a car, for instance, can the battery be recycled? And, and, and how do we make sure that we're not doing more harm than, good when we're seeking out these solutions?
3: It's such an important question and discussion. And I can, I'm now, while we don't focus specifically on on PV panels, I think the broader um, context is really important um, because there is, first of all, we are an an island community. So there is a supply chain, it, you know, there needs to be responsible supply chain management, um, and so there are a number of recycling programs that are being piloted um, for PV panels specifically in California and other locations. Here, um, we focus very much on the proper management of disposal of um, appliances and white goods to ensure that refrigerant is properly removed um, and the the white goods themselves are recycled. And it's an it's an important distinction. Um, from I think programs in in other areas because we have to manage that so closely in order to ensure that it's not going into our landfill. So it's a long discussion. There's a lot of work being done on proper recycling, um, and I think it's going to become even more important as as um, as the years pass.
0: Another question that we have here for Matt asks: uh, Would you please address the predictive flooding from sea level rise of the Alamoana area and how that would? on how that should influence plans for building of HEART to that area. Uh, beyond just, of course, the rail project and other areas, You know, we, we do know that there are certain areas in the urban core that are identified as areas that are prone to flooding, Kaka'ako, uh, Makunapuna at times. Uh, how do those types of situations and conditions in those areas um, help to shape policy moving forward with projects like HEART and any other construction projects moving forward uh, as you plan, uh, to build the urban core, but also factoring in that these areas are prone to flooding and could see significant flooding because of sea level changes. Yeah, thanks,
2: Ryan, and thanks for the question. Um, Addressing sea level rise is going to be contextual wherever we are on the island. And there's different things to understand or, or integrate into decision making, whether it's sort of the impacts to the people of a place, the environment of that place, or the economy of the island. So addressing sea level rise in the urban core won't look the same as it may be, say, on the North Shore or other windward areas in, in the Kolau mountain range. So a lot of the efforts right now are to look at um, the infrastructure vulnerabilities and thinking on ways to address those uh, either in place or through new technologies. So HART has been proactively looking at the station area designs, evaluating the Verize concerns uh, towards the end of the century, And they're actually proposing elevating some of those ground planes at the station areas, or at least some of the assessments did previously. So then the question is, how does development over time and how does the supporting infrastructure of the community around it also come up to meet it so that we can still have um, linked together communities? Again, that's not necessarily the approach that will work. There's so much public investment through the urban core, whether it's the airport, the harbor, the business district, all the way through Ala Moana and Waikiki. So understanding the opportunities and the constraints are gonna be um, different in different places.
1: You know, Matt, I, I sort of building on that question, um, some of this can just feel so overwhelming. I, I'm interested to know what kind of relationships you have with um, your counterparts in other cities, because of course, even if Honolulu does everything right, uh, we're part of a planet that might not be on the same path. Uh, how, how, what kind of conversations do you have with counterparts in other cities to make sure that that everyone is being responsible?
2: Uh, learning networks or sort of support groups are extremely important. I think we should all feel um, a little bit more relieved that there's renewed leadership and very critical leadership at the federal level. Locally across the United States, um, states and cities and counties have really been leading this discussion for the last four years absent um, leadership through the previous administration. Um, the good thing is uh since we're all uh, tight-knit, there's, there's a little bit of what uh, I like to call coopetition, which is like cooperative competition. We're all trying to outdo each other, but it's mostly for the benefit of residents. Again, these kinds of co-benefits and the things that accrue to people in terms of health, security, savings, cleaner environments, more socially connected and, and resilient communities are the opportunity. Climate action and adaptation is a proposition for us for improved conditions because there's a lot that doesn't work for people today. There's energy burden, there's health risks, we have some of the highest pedestrian fatality rates in the nation, and these are things that if we don't like, we know we need to change. Again, change is coming to us, so how do we proactively get ahead of this and do things that people have been asking for for some time?
3: And I would just add that, you know, a shout out to Matt and team, that the the office's leveraging of other other networks, other cities work has also spillover effects for organizations like Hawaii Energy, because we're able to then um, link into specific experiences and and use those in how we may modify programs or roll things out. So it's really been like the whole is greater than the sum of the parts like just being able to leverage um, those networks and apply best practices.
2: But the city also leverages Hawaii Energy where we got a big old rebate check when we turned over all of our 53,000 streetlights around the island because that's direct savings and those are the kinds of investments whether it's uh, agencies or institutional level to businesses or homeowners that Hawaii Energy is here to support champion and to provide
0: the catalyst to do so. You know Caroline in in another life I, I worked for the government and one of the things that when we have these discussions that we with experts they would say that Hawaii is such a unique geographic location, but it also presents so many different ways to uh, develop energy, be it through solar farms, through wind, through water. There, there are so many elements that make Hawaii unique in that aspect that allows us to create and sustain the energy. But one of the biggest issues was uh, the storage of that energy and being able to produce it, but finding ways where we could sustain it, store it, and then over time, be able to use that stored energy throughout the day and throughout the evening, and that seemed to be a bigger challenge. I wonder if you can just update us on on any sort of the storage capacity of retaining some of the energy that we do create here in the islands, and uh, what are some of the advancements, or if there have been any to help to address this storage capacity of energy?
3: Yeah, and beyond just the storage, which the cost of batteries and the technology, the cost is coming down, the technology is improving um, rapidly. So I think we're going to see integration of, of storage even more robustly in, in our both our utility side things and distributed within on individual's homes. Um, but you, it also comes with a lot of advancements of smart technology within building. So being able to just manage when load is being utilized flexibly and align it with um, peak, peak solar period during the day or other other times to be able to shift. So it's happening and it's really coming together. Um, so the future is very smart and I think we're going to see quite a bit more adoption of um, flexible load management and and storage as um, in the coming years.
1: Our time is coming to an end but Caroline uh, we want to give you both a t- an opportunity to, to share some final thoughts. Caroline I want to start with you just on an individual basis uh, if you would share your website and, and what you would direct individuals to do, uh, you know, going forward if they want to be part of the, the energy solution.
3: Yeah. Um, well, please visit our website, hawaiianergy.com. Um, there you'll find some easy tips and tricks that you can apply to. Immediately, um, we have a number of programs for businesses as well. So reach out to us. Um, this is um, there is so much you can do, and it it doesn't have to be overwhelming. So I just want to uh, encourage everyone to to give it a shot and to thank you all for for joining us today.
0: And, and Matt, for yourself, a final word that you would have for our viewers as. Uh, We look to this new administration that you now work under with um, Mayor Blangiardi, uh, some of the things that you may be working on moving forward with this new administration and any other final thoughts that you may have.
2: Yeah, thank you for that. Um, You know, just as Mayor Blangiardi said at State of the City um, just a week ago today, actually, right, um, as we take the steps towards climate action and decarbonization through the city's first ever climate action plan, we're going to reduce our long-term risks, we're going to enhance safety and promote energy security, as well as keeping upwards of billions of dollars on island to reinvest in community, job training, job growth, and new opportunities, and then ensure that everyone benefits from this transition to a cleaner, greener future. Because um, unless we're able to ensure that there's reduced energy burden and climate equity and resilience moving forward, we'll have missed the opportunity.
0: All right. Well, we thank you both very much for being here this morning and for educating us and our viewers about this very important topic. And again, for all the work that both of you continue to do to help keep uh, our community uh, a sustainable one that will uh, benefit all of us in the future. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank Thank you both. Aloha. Thank you
1: so much. Aloha. Ryan, wonderful to hear from them. This is such an important discussion. As you mentioned, you know, we see these tremendous rain events and we read that we're going to be experiencing more in the future. Uh, The changes are coming, whether we like them or not. And so how do we handle them? And that's why we had that discussion today. So there's things that are happening on an individual level that Caroline talked about that you can do uh, as a homeowner or as, you know, as a business owner. And then things that the city is doing on a much broader scale, which also help us just from a tax benefit. And then of course, on the environmental side as well
0: and you're right Ninja, at times it can seem overwhelming with uh you know when we hear reports in the national media when we see some of the statistics that come out about the what overall, overall change that's happening in our environment uh, oftentimes we think well what can we do uh, and, and there are some practical tips that people can do in homes whether it's making those small adjustments that she was talking about changing uh you know um, using different appliances and finding ways to reduce overall energy costs on an individual level can help just the overall uh, grid as a whole that we all rely on. So there are some very helpful tips in there. And and we thank both of them for being a part of this important conversation.
1: Yes. Yeah, so thank to all of you for writing in your comments. We appreciate all of those comments and questions helping to lead that discussion today. Uh, coming up on Wednesday, Governor David Ige is going to be joining us. We've got lots to talk with him about. We're going to be talking about rail, about schools, about vaccines, um, unemployment. The list is long, Ryan.
0: Yeah, there's always, there's never a shortage of topics that we have uh, to talk with the governor. Sometimes half an hour doesn't seem like long enough, but we're grateful that he will be back and we will um, encourage all of you to type in your questions that you may have for the governor. Again, that is on Wednesday and then Friday we'll be speaking with Peter Ingram from Hawaiian Airlines. We'll be talking more about Hawaiian Airlines expansion. We've seen uh, the, the company roll out A bunch of new routes over the past few weeks, uh, how that is helping Hawaiian Airlines, as we know, who has struggled during this time of COVID-19, and how some of the adjustments that are being made through the Safe Travels program and beyond, what uh, what types of changes we can maybe expect to see moving forward as we continue to find ways where we adapt through this era of COVID-19.
1: Yeah, the last time we talked to Peter Ingram, they were losing around $3 million a day. So we wanted to ask about the financial health of the airline. We know that this is an important lifeline to so many in our community, uh, just in terms of being able to access different parts of the world and also just inner island flights. Um, and also, you know, there's a number of jobs on the line and how long can they continue to um, you know, keep keep the keep the staff that they have. So we have a lot to talk about. And then just tourism as a whole, you know, what are what is his outlook? Uh, How is the airline planning and the idea of vaccine passports? There's so much to talk about with Peter Ingram, and we always love having him on. So please join us for that on Friday. Again, the governor will be here 1030 on Wednesday. So until then, we wish you a great week. Thanks for starting it off with us and have a great day. Aloha.
0: Aloha. We'll see you on Wednesday.